What up, what up, what up? You tuned in to the Jose Morales podcast where we talk sports, business, and everything in between. I am your host, Jose Morales, and we're at my boxing academy. Joining me in the ring today is my man, Bobby Jackson. Action Jackson. Say what's up, bro. What's up, dog? How you doing? Good, man. So we finally smoking a cigar, bro. Yeah, we are. It's been a minute. I mean, uh, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and uh, we finally made it happen. During coronavirus season. Yeah, we actually, we ain't supposed to be near each other or smoking. We're kind of breaking the law. Six feet, baby. Six feet. Give me six feet. (laughs) I need the six feet. So the sixth man of the year, Bobby Jackson. If you guys do not know or remember him, he was a a big part of the Kings' successful time. He was coming off the bench doing big things. He got sixth man of the year award in 2002 or one, I think. When was it when you got that award? Uh, No, it was three. Three. 2003. Um. Bobby and I actually been knowing each other, became friends. First time he walked in here in the gym, it was 2009, so it's been 11 years. It was right after I got through playing ball. Yeah. I had to figure out a way to keep this weight down. I still haven't figured out a way to keep this weight down. Yeah. Cause, uh, what, what did you tell me? He said, as long as I can look down and see my toes. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Because I, I told him, bro, let's get on a strict diet. Let's do that. He nah. said, nah, 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 nah. I just want to see my toes. Yeah, I, see I, need my to toes see, I need to see my toes. And we're good. Um, so Bobby and I have a big, long history from 11 years. What made you actually start boxing? I mean, why why boxing out of everything? You could. Why did you want to do boxing? Man, I was always intrigued with it. Oh, you really? Know, growing up as a kid, fighting in the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I st- once I stopped playing, I had to figure out a way to, you know, get back into shape. Because at one point when I got through d- playing, like two or three years after I th- got through playing, man, I just ballooned. I got really, really big. And so boxing was something that I had, I, you know, I kind of went and people always told me it's, it's not hard on your body. It's a total body workout. And I think that's the one thing that I love about it. You know, I, I'm not a big weight person. I don't like lifting weights. And so I like the total uh, body um, composition that comes with it, um, whether it's the, the shoulders, whether it's the, the burpees, the squats, yeah. and the push-ups. I just don't like lifting weights. And so I think you can get fatigued really well. You can do a lot of conditioning within boxing. I'm, I'm not a big guy. I don't like to run. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, that. Motherfucker yeah. always complaining. <laughs> I don't like running, so boxing. Hey, but Bobby is, can still move. Boxing is it, it has approached me in that mindset where because my my joints and my my ankles and yeah. my knees with all that pounding, I've done it for 12, 13 years in the NBA. Uh, I don't want, I don't need to do that much running. Yeah, I just like, need to that. do enough just to contain. So yeah, he, he always tries to avoid jump rope. I never I jump rope. Hate uh-uh. jump rope. No, I can't jump rope. My yeah. Achilles, man, my yeah. Achilles are so tight. <laughs> Feel like them things about to pop off my, my off my, my off my foot, bro. Yeah. So fun fact, man. I don't know if you know this, but I think I told you this. You know me growing up. I love I love you. You know you're my favorite player. Favorite I think team? you said I think you said that. Yeah. A while ago. No, um, I'm dead serious, bro. Oh, okay. I don't I know, know if you that. took that seriously or no, not. No, I but didn't. I didn't take so it serious. I'm a big Kings fan, as you already know that. And, yeah, I know that. And growing up, I love. You for real. I love. I don't love you as much now. I fuck with you now, but it's all good. No, nah, no, nah, I loved you, bro, <laughs> and I loved everything about you. But the thing that, because during that time, I loved basketball. Like I was playing ball, not seriously or competitive like that, not at that uh-huh. level. But I will send your game, so you nah, can't shut say the fuck. You, you can't say you've been competitive, Doug. I send your game. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I played as a kid, bro. Like so, one thing people don't know about him, and where my family's from in Mexico, mm-hmm. um, 
there, we're probably the only neighborhood in all of that state that has a basketball court. Oh, wow. So, and like, my uncles and stuff like that, they all played ball. Like I said, it's just fucking, fucking around. Not like college-level uh-huh. basketball. Yeah, I get you. you. know what I mean? And, um... So me, I love I love watching your game. I like playing you because you were you were small compared to fucking seven footers mm-hmm. and shit like that. You were smaller, and you took it to the whole reverse layup and everything about you. I love, and I love the king. So I, and I that I I was drawn to you a lot, and you were my favorite player. I got all your jerseys, had all your basketball cards and everything. Um, and I remember the first time I met you was actually at Denny's, bro. Like two thousand three, it, it was no, it was actually like two thousand. Three, probably 2003, 2002, you had a cast because Shaq, that's when you ran oh, into Shaq. Oh, I broke my hand. Yeah, remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. That was a that was the first time I met you at Denny's on Douglas. And uh, you were hella cool. You just signed my shit. You were hella nice. I was I was like 12 years old, but I was a little boy. Oh, wow. You're making me feel old. You are old. You were 12, <laughs> you were 12 in 2003, 2004? No, uh, no. Nah, nah, in 2002, I was 12. Yeah, I was yeah. 12. Wow. We aging, man, right? But anyways, I was a little kid, bro, and I loved you. And uh, seven years, eight years later, I got to, I remember the first time uh, someone said, hey, Bobby's in a, Bobby Jackson's go to the, the gym. I was like, what? Oh, shit. Because I already had all your basketball cards. Everything mm-hmm. I told you, I, I looked up to you. And then we actually, got, I got to meet you and grow and grow that relationship and get to know you as a person and as a father and everything you are. I, I admire you even much more. So, well, you know. I appreciate it, man. I think I, I, I thought I'd share that with you now. Um, what I want to share with the world and everyone to know now is uh, really get familiar with your story. I don't think you ever talked too much about, I have never really heard you talk too much about how you were brought up, yeah. your lifestyle, what you're doing now yeah. and all of that. So I kind of wanted to ask you, what was it growing up in Salisbury for you, bro? How, what was that like? Share well, with us. Well, I mean, number one, I think uh, my path to the NBA and, and how I grew up is probably kind of a lot different um done a lot of the nba players you know my dad was never involved in my life grew up in a single family household grew up in the projects uh grew up in a drug infested area um for those that don't know where salisbury is where, let salisbury salad you saying salad it's salisbury Sal- not Man, salis see, it's you gotta, salisbury you gotta correct me bro i got all you. i know is that you like that song that North Carolina, yeah, man. When I put, pablo baby i put it on one day in the gym old boy took off his shirt he yeah. was going crazy up in here so well, where is it at? Tell us how far is it? Salisbury where, where is, is it? I would probably say thirty say so thirty miles uh, east of Charlotte. So thirty miles. Thirty miles. So it takes me. It takes you thirty five, forty minutes yeah, to get country, to Charlotte. Is it country like or uh, no? Uh, mm-hmm. People think it's country because it's Salisbury and it's in the middle of everything, and there's a lot of trees, and, and it's an agricultural state. Um, but it's not it's not country. We may be con- country folks in how we talk yeah. and, and how we use slang, but, but it's, it's not a country. It's, it's not country. So I mean, you, you were gotta, the, probably the hottest thing to come out of there until somebody ruined it for you, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody ruined that big time. But you know, uh, we 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 ain't gonna talk about Zion right now. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, my my path and my story. Uh, it, it's kind of tough and it's kind of different. Like, and people don't know this about me. Like, I was telling my kids this the other day. Um, I didn't play organized basketball into my tenth grade year, into my tenth grade year in high school. Swear. Yeah, I so always. You were playing basketball, just not organized. Just not organized. Yeah. I never played in junior high for the team. I didn't go out my ninth grade year. I always played pickup basketball and I always played rec ball. Yeah. Um. So. 
and I was really good at it. And so I didn't feel like I wanted to compromise leaving <clears throat> my friends to go play high school. Um, and so, so the reason why you didn't do it is because of your friends and stuff like that. It was never like a finance thing or anything. No, nah, I mean, from junior high, it probably was more finance because we didn't have a car. And my junior high school, which was Knox Middle High School, middle school it was maybe a 20 minute ride um, from the apartments. And so hey, getting we got, we got something in common. Yeah. Getting back and forth home that was kind of tough and i wasn't going to walk mm-hmm. I, mean, I walked pretty much everywhere and that's why i didn't play in the sixth seventh and eighth grade because my mom didn't have a car she worked late and then i and then the coaches didn't really want to take me home it was just too inconvenient for them and so i didn't play in the sixth seventh eighth now i get to high school and i walked to high school my high school yeah. was maybe two or three miles from the projects that I grew up in. So we walked to school every single day. And that was maybe a 20-minute walk. And that was nothing. Um, and I tell my kids today, like, I walked to high school every single day. Yeah. I didn't ride the bus. Was it hard for you to go from not playing basketball to getting into structure? Because you, did you play any different sports before that? Uh, no, I played every sport. I played football, baseball, um, those were the three sports that I played, basketball, football, and baseball. And I was really, really good at baseball. Uh, just the fact was I just didn't like being out in the sun. And in North Carolina, the heat is humid. Yeah. So playing baseball in the summertime, boy, you will die out there. And so I kind of lost yeah. love. I know I, you don't. You complain here. Yeah, I kind of lost. I kind of lost my my love for baseball probably about my ninth grade year. I stopped playing about my ninth um. grade year. Um, but the, 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 the weird thing about having to travel, um, from high school to the projects was like, I didn't go out my ninth grade year neither in high school. I didn't go out for any teams. And so I guess the coach heard that, and man, you guys, you got to get this guy on your team. And I was more content with just playing on the playgrounds and playing with the rec leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, so the coach approached me and from there it was just. It was golden. I started my sophomore year, average 17. The played, first time ever playing on a – Yeah, you, on, on organized. The, the, probably the, the biggest battle for me was, like, I grew up in the projects. And so I grew up around a lot of grown men. I hung yeah. around a lot of grown men. And so when it came to discipline me and tell me what to do, like, I was kind of a hard head in that fact. And so that's yeah. what me and my head coach – we kind of bumped heads, but – I kind of knew what I wanted about from the age of eight or nine. I knew I wanted to play basketball. Yeah. Once I started dribbling, I knew I wanted to play basketball because in the state of North Carolina, Carolina Tar Heels, Duke, I wasn't a Duke fan, and I loved Michael Jordan. And so after every game I watch Chicago, I go out on the playground, try to emulate Jordan, do his moves, beat everybody's ass, uh, even the grown men. I was like at eight, like 13, 14, I was, I was beating no men. Yeah. I was – do you feel like that's missing now with uh, the youngsters now, or do you think there's every now and then some some youngsters like that? Nah, you may find one or two, but back in the day, that was prevalent. Like that was you had to go outside and you had to play on the the playgrounds, but you also had to prove that you belonged on the court. Like just because you got and what's so different now is you got the rankings. You got everybody, you got social media telling every kid that they the best thing since sliced bread. So 
with me, it was it was a it was easier for me to to just go out and, and play against older men. Now, when I was younger, I took those bumps and bruises. I got my butt kicked, but it, it taught me how to fight. Yeah, uh, it taught me how to be tenacious and, and, and instill some toughness with me when you go outside and you play against older guys. Yeah, how was a transition from there to college? How did you pick? How'd you end up? How did you go to Minnesota? Well, number one, I went to junior college first. Uh-huh. So from high school, and I was all state. I wasn't a McDonald's All American, which I probably I thought I should have been, but I got overlooked. We was a small school, uh, but Minnesota came down the line. Like I went to JUCO for three years. Like I tore my ACL my first day of practice. What? And so I had to redshirt and sit out my freshman year of of, of JUCO ball, which was in Western Nebraska. Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. So I went to Western Nebraska Community College. And when I tore my ACL, I called my mom. I was like, yo, I'm coming home. Mom said, no, you're not. What are you coming back here for? <laughs> you ain't coming back here. Ain't nothing here for you. So I think that was a a, a turning point uh, moment in my life where I could I probably wouldn't have been in this situation if it was up to me. Yeah. Because I wanted to go back home. I was already homesick. I was a mama's boy. I loved being with my mom. Um, and so she was like, no, you're not coming back here. You got a goal. You got dreams. Why come back here and throw it away if you got a great opportunity yeah. to be successful where you at? So I stayed out there for three years. Set out my whole freshman year. Told my ACL the first day of practice by myself. Come, going to get a rebound, come down, bop. And red-shirted, rehabbed that whole year, came back, uh, my 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 first year, my second year of junior college, all American. Third year of junior college, all American. Went to the national JC um, tournament, um, first team all American, and from there it was it was golden. And that's that, how Minnesota. Came that's about. how Minnesota came into the picture. They recruited me hard. They recruited me really hard. Minnesota recruited me hard. Indiana recruited me hard. Uh, Wake Forest recruited me hard. North Carolina State, Oklahoma. Um, Miami. Um, what you said on Minnesota? What did you like about him? The one thing why I picked Minnesota was number one. I I always wanted to play for a black coach. <laughs> <laughs> I always played for white coaches, and so at the time it was it was a couple black coaches um, in college. It was Minnesota. It was Oklahoma. Uh, who else was it? And I think it was my. I think it was Miami or Florida. State. So there wasn't that many black coaches. No, it wasn't that many black coaches, and that was my main purpose. Why was that so important to you? Like, because I never had it. Okay, I wanted to see what it was like. That, what, you know, yeah. I wanted to see what was there a big uh, difference. W- it was a huge difference. What was it? It was a huge difference. Uh, the, the, the biggest difference for me was like I had coaches that challenged me, but they didn't know how to handle me as a as a young black man. Yeah, because you know it's, like, it's different, bro. It's yeah. different. It's different. Most different. It's most, important. And nothing to it. I think most coaches. Um, they get intimidated by you because you're this athlete and you got this persona and, and you're really good. They didn't know how to handle my ego, mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to engage me every single day. As soon as I stepped on the campus, Coach Clem Hatson said everything that I wanted to hear when he recruited me. But when I got there, it was a it was night and day. Like when I talk about the hardest coach um, to play for as far as discipline, uh, holding you accountable, but also 
he will fight your ass. <laughs> and he'll tell you, like, I'll beat your ass. Like, if you see me and a bear fighting, help the bear. Don't help me. That bear's going to need help. That's the type of coach that he was. Okay. Uh, and so that type of – that – Sounds like Coach Carter type. All day. And the one thing that really, really resonated with me when he recruited me, he was like, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I played – and he played in the NBA. He was like, you got the potential to make it to the NBA. Is it going to be easy? No. But if you listen and listen and take the coaching, because I'm going to be hard on you. If you take this coaching, like you got a chance to play at the next level. No other coach has said that. I got recruited by all those schools that I said earlier, but he was the one that said, you got an opportunity to play in the NBA. If you do it my way, you'll be playing in the NBA. And did you listen then, huh? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like, we bumped <clears throat> heads. But you listened. But I listened. Yeah. You know, and I think as a young man um, growing up. You need and, that. And growing, you need, you need yeah. structure. You need discipline. And you need guidance. You can't be every – I think a lot of coaches – we talked about this a few months back. A lot of coaches are too uh, fond of trying to be their friends. Mm-hmm. You're trying to be everyone's friend. And every now and then, for the most part, you you gotta be a man, put your daddy. You gotta voice be a motherfucker. On. Yeah, you gotta be like, look, yeah, man, you, you gotta put the you gotta put the the friendship aside. aside yeah. and, and some and today there's a time and space time for that, but not not during coaching. Yeah, and he like when I talk about father figure, like I still talk to his wife, I still talk to him. Um, he's has his big old farm, six hundred acres in Campbell Campbellsville, Kentucky. Um and he's, he's so you still got a relationship. With I still him. got a relationship. With That's him. cool. Like man. he's like my father that I never had. Yeah. Um and so the guidance that he had given me and when I just remember like when I went to Minnesota I had two kids, I had two kids in in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh and so that was another. What was that like, man? Being in college with two kids, no career yet. How'd you handle that, man? What? It was you know what. I grew up without my dad in my life. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for me to be a father. And so I always promised myself, once I have kids, I'm not going to allow them to grow up how I grew up. Yeah. Um, so that was a motivating factor for me. Um, and like I said, wherever I I'm mean. at, I'm going to be a father. You're going to know who I am. I'm going to be evident in your life. I'm yeah. going to be consistent in your life where you know when to do the right thing and when to do the wrong thing. <clears throat> That's something I noticed with you because I see from the personal level now. I've met, I think I met all your kids at Jackson Five. I met yeah. them all, and you have an um, amazing relationship with all of them. Like all of them, like like, it's 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 motivating to see that. Like I, I would love to have a relationship that you have with all your kids. What did you, what did you do to make it that way? Like obviously, I could tell you're strict with them when it comes about, but. What what tip would you give to parents or fathers? Definitely fathers to do that. You know, I, like I, I tried to break the generational curse, like and most people coming from uh, uh, poor backgrounds, fathers not in their lives. It's easy for for young men, whether it's white, black, Mexican, uh, Italian. Like once you don't have a dad in your life, it's easy to say, you know what? I ain't. Gonna, once I have a kid, I'm not gonna be there. Like I had to teach myself how to be a great father. Nobody taught me that. Now was it some was it pains and was it tough? It was extremely tough. I mean, especially not having an income, yeah, in college trying to provide. Um, but it was it was humbling because I knew what I had to do for my kids, and I knew 
where my eyes, what my eyes were set on. Yeah. And that was making it to the NBA. Um, now there were sacrifices that I had to make uh, to get to where I had to get to where with my kids, when I was in college and I was in Minnesota, I couldn't see them as much because they was in Wyoming. Um, so that was a tough thing, but that was a sacrifice that I had to make. But now once I get to the NBA, now I have the monetary lifestyle where I can go pick them up and they can be with me as much as they want. So it was a sacrifice that I made the two years that I was in Minnesota, uh, but a day didn't go by that I didn't communicate with them yeah. or I didn't uh, have a relationship with them. And I, I, I'm in California now and all five of my kids are in my household, yeah. which is a beautiful <laughs> thing, you know, and, and it's tough keeping food in your house right now because everybody wants to eat every damn thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what was uh the draft day for you? What was that like mm. going uh, when you finally find out you was gonna go to the NBA? Le- le- relive that day for us. No, I'm gonna go on like like draft day was amazing, but like I said, I, like I was I was a really good college basketball player. Like I won a lot of awards. Like, but so you feel like are you you feel like you're better? You were better in college than the pro level. Were you more successful? You had to pick one. Which one was were you more successful on? I probably, I mean, my, college was two years. I played mm-hmm. in the NBA for twelve. Yeah. So I think I think I had a better NBA career than a college career. But I say, my M, my NBA career got established because of my college career, yeah. because of the steps <clears throat> and the plateaus that we reached. Like I I was the only player still in school history to win Big Ten Player of the Year, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. It has never been done. Um, so having that feat and conquering that, like, and we had Kevin McHale went there, Michael Thompson, Trent Tucker, uh, Sam Jacobson, Quincy Lewis, uh, so many other guys that that's in the league that's played in the league, but I was the only guy to win both honors the same year. And that's never been done in the history of Minnesota. So, my NBA career was spun off of my college career. And I had one good – I had a really, really good college senior season uh, where I collected all these accolades, and I also was a, a wooden All-American. So that kind of helped me, and it propelled me into the NBA. Yeah. What was draft day like? Draft day was amazing, man. And, and a lot of people don't know this. Draft was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, shit. That's yeah, right home. down the street. Yeah, right home. home. So – I didn't get invited to the draft. What? No. Didn't get drafted. How you have a college uh, background like that and then they get invited? Because most guys, they only, like back then, they only did like the top lottery pick guys. Oh, okay. okay. So they was, what, one through 15, maybe the top 20 guys. Like I was between 20 and 30 and late second. Mm -hmm. So nobody knew where I was going to get drafted at. Um so draft day was very interesting for me, but it was very cool because I got to experience that in front of all my family and friends. Yeah, that's tight. You know, if you go back and look up the draft, I'm in the stands. I come out of the stands, get on the stage. They call my name. I got my whole family and friends at the draft with me. And and so to, to cherish that with my mom. That's, a, that's hella special. Uh, it was super special. Um, and then 
getting to the NBA and then taking care of her and not allowing her to work no more. That's what all the the sweat and the tears and the ACA the ACL tears and sacrifices you, you know, made. Sacrifices you make. You know, you have two kids. My role was a lot different than any other NBA player. I can guarantee that. No, I I can tell you no other NBA player role to the NBA was more difficult than mine. Why are you so confident with that? Uh, because of what I went through, uh, mm. and how I and what I grew up, what I seen, um, and uh, not having a dad in my life, growing up in the projects, being in a drug infested area, actually selling drugs in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so my 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 road to the NBA was was well traveled, but it was something that molded me into the guy that you I are, am today. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and, and the, the things that I've the steps that I've taken in my life and my career, those are the things that I can pass on to my kids. I can mold them. I can show them. Like a couple of days ago. Do we you was, feel like your kids understand all this? They, no. No? No. They just understand the NBA life. They yeah. under, That's all they understand. Now, like my daughters, we were sitting there watching the Final Four on my on my laptop a uh, couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And they didn't <clears> know I was as good. You know, cause they, <laughs> they, you know, they see snippets and clips, but we actually watched two full games. We watched the Clemson game, we watched the UCLA game, watched the Kentucky game. That's all in the NCAA tournament, and I told them that's where I made my name because it was something that I had to do, and I knew that goal was right around the corner. So I kind of buckled down, played the best basketball of my career, and that was it, man. Um, the NCAA tournament it propelled me into the NBA. But I always say, to get to the NBA, number one, you got to have talent. You got to have hard work and dedication. And you it's a, a little bit, a lot of luck has mm-hmm. to go, has to come your way. So all three of those things play a pivotal part of me getting to the NBA. Was the NBA everything you thought it would be or was it more than you thought it would be before? What was it like? Because, you know, everyone has a – a vision of what the NBA's would be or is like. Do you think was it that for you, or was it more than that, or was it less? Man, than it that? was everything that I that I that I thought it would be. Yeah, you know, until uh, this day, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm doing something that a lot of people would love to do, bro. Hell like, yeah, I'm I'm a part, I'm a part of the NBA. I've been in the NBA since 1997. You know, and I and I it's a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Outside of the brotherhood, we stick together. Uh, we live a lifestyle that a lot of people want to live as far yeah. as traveling, um, making a lot of money, meeting a lot of girls, meeting a lot of actors and and people that's in the, the music and um, m- music and movie industries. Like the lifestyle is amazing. Uh, the one thing I could tell young guys, just don't get caught up in the hype. And that's the one thing that I didn't do. Uh, you got caught I, up in the hype? I didn't. Oh, you did? I didn't. No. Explain what the hype is for you. What is that? I mean, because you can get lost in it. Like, mm-hmm. number one, it's like social media is crazy now. Yeah. And the good thing back then, we didn't have a lot of social social media. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it was, it wasn't. There as, wasn't no social no, media. No, none. It I was, think the only thing probably closest to social media at the time is probably the AOL thing, probably like that was 99, 2000, but that wasn't even social media. Uh, but, I, the biggest thing was what? what? Like the little oh, chat rooms and no, shit no, like that. No, no, what was it? Was MySpace? 
But that was way after though. That no, wasn't no. That MySpace, wasn't, that, MySpace was huge. But not 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 in the nineties, bro. Not ninety nine. MySpace I think came like twenty oh three oh four. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. Damn, Bobby, you over here. Did you shake this up? No, bro. It's been sitting there for. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Bobby over here popping bottles, oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> club soda over here. <laughs> no, I, so I, I think the biggest thing was, you know, with the social media. So when MySpace came, did people start getting all amped up with MySpace or what? No, I wouldn't say it got amped up. I would just say it was, it was, um, it was social media took a turn uh probably down the road okay uh so we didn't we didn't experience it at all we didn't experience uh social media at all when i was playing and thank god we didn't because all the trouble that the guys are getting in now <laughs> i'm just we like me and some of the old guys we'd be like man thank god we didn't have Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all these other yeah. apps that can expose you. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, cause you'd be in trouble. Oh, we would definitely. Well, <laughs> we was in trouble without any of that. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I'm just thankful that we wasn't a part of that area. Now it's very beneficial to have all these social media outlets um, to market your brand, mm -hmm. which is another amazing thing. I think where the league has taken a, a, for players has taken another huge jump. Yeah. What going into the NBA? Did you care what team you play for? Or did you have a team in eye or anything that you kind of were? I didn't care. You didn't care. You just want to be in the league. I just wanted to be in the league. And I hate guys that say I want to play. I, I want to play for this team. Like this is a privilege. Yeah. Like and I tell my kids that all the time. Yeah. Like, like this is a privilege to be able to do something that you love. And you get to wake up, and a lot of people want to be in your shoe. Like this is a privilege. So because you were growing, growing up, you're a Bulls fan. I remember you told me all day. Yeah, I was a Chicago Bulls fan. So you didn't care. No. Yeah, because there's care. there's dudes like that though. They no, were like, oh, and no, still I want to play for no, this I team. I want to play. Like man, be be happy that you have yeah. this opportunity yeah. to grace and walk in the area. Because number one, there's only like 490 NBA players out of the world. Well, it's a what? It's a trillion? Was a trillion people in the world? Yeah, like four hundred and ninety. <laughs> like, yeah. just imagine it. So for me, I've always taken that mindset. Like, I didn't care. I don't care where I go. I don't care where I play. Like, I'm gonna be happy. Now, did I like some of the cities that I played in? No, but I did my job. I was a professional, and I love going to work every single day. Was a league then to now like a players league how it is now? Or what was it like? What do you feel like? It's more of a players league now. It's always been a players league. You think so? I think with David Stern and him making that way, I think he 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 um, guided and gave us the path to be our own bosses and be paid money that other athletes can't be paid. Mm -hmm. So the 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 league has really, really taken a step far as a player's league in today's generation. Back when we were playing, we were feeling the same thing. We felt like we controlled the league. It's even more controlled now by the NBA players because yeah. of the money, the salaries, the social media, um, the endorsements that these guys get, um, which is, is taking, which is leaps and bounds of where it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Was there any trades or any moves that ever, like, affected you? Like, oh, getting traded from this team or this team or anything like that that you kind of were like, damn, 
hurt by or anything like no, that? I was hurt that I got traded here from here. From here or to here? From here. Uh, yeah, like in 2005, I was kind of hurt. Yeah. Yeah, because I kind of, like, it, I had my best careers here. I came here in 2000, mm-hmm. and they traded me in 2005. So I think I was I was really hurt, and that was really that at that time that made me really understand the business. It was a business. It was a business. It wasn't. Yeah. I knew I was loved by the fans, and but it was a business. Like I, I and the reason I say that is, like, and I tell players this now. Like you got to look out for yourself. Whether mm-hmm. you hurt, whether you healthy, like, like you control yourself. And so, for me, like it really taught me that. Regardless of what you do, um, how hard you put the work in, uh, how dedicated you are to the city, like it's made to it. This is made to benefit the organizations, um, and not meaning by meaning that it meant teams are willing to do anything to make a playoff run and to win games. And yeah. now I, when I first got traded, I was like, man. Well, that actually was my second trade. I got traded my rookie year to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, then after I got – because I was only in Minnesota for two years. So when I got traded from SAC, I was I was really hurt. I was bummed. Yeah. You ended up coming back here. Yeah, I did. So I came back in oh eight, oh nine. It was great. It was great. Because like, you, you signed here, right? You yeah, I signed as a free agent. I didn't yeah. get traded. I signed – on my own will. Uh, yeah. And you, the craziest thing about it, I'll tell you a story. My rookie year, coming in, like we played the Sacramento Kings my rookie year, and we staying downtown at the Sheridan. And it ain't shit downtown. <laughs> yeah, nothing. especially at that time. At that, that time, bro. It was <laughs> nothing, bro. So I'm like, yo, like in every city we normally go to, we go out. It was just it was just a thing that we did. We went out every city that we mm-hmm. went to, so we couldn't find shit to do in Sacramento. And I I remember I tell people all this story all the time. Yeah, you told I, me this already. I said, man, I would never play for the Sacramento Kings because there ain't shit here to do. And now I find myself. I've been here since two thousand. <laughs> what two thousand? <laughs> what about the city you love about it now that you're still here? I mean, you could be live anywhere. Why did you decide to stay here? Number one, I tell people don't don't talk before you know the full aspect of yeah. what you're getting yourself don't, into. Be, be careful what you wish yeah, for. Yeah, be careful yeah. what you wish for. And I'm I'm a huge believer in that now. I never say never. Yep. Uh, because that taught me a lesson. I always say I never would get married. Mm-hmm. Um, you got married. And I, to- <laughs> I got married. I told my first wife this. I ain't getting married. I'm not getting married. And you got married. I got married. I should man. get you, man. Fuck how you <laughs> I had kids. We had kids and I, I mean, I loved her and we had kids, but I always told myself I ain't getting married cuz I never seen a healthy marriage. Yeah. Right? My mom was always a single lady. I never mm. seen a healthy marriage and I didn't know what that was like. So, now I know what that's like. Um it sucks that you had to I had to go through a divorce yeah. to see what a healthy marriage is like, but um it's something that had to be done. It had yeah. to happen. Um, I'm going to obviously talk about the conference finals, man. When I mean, it's probably the most successful the Kings did, and you were a part of that. What was that team like? What was that those times like, man? Because it was, it was special in the city here, so I could only imagine what it was like for you guys. A brotherhood, man. Yeah. You could definitely tell it was a brotherhood. Complete was, brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, like, I've never been on – I think I've been on – 
teams where I played with really, really good players, man. And, like, I played with KG, um, played with Stephon Marbury, played with Terrell Brandon, um, played with LaFonso Ellis, played with um, Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Jason Williams, Vladi, Peja. Then Memphis played with Paul Gasol and Mike Miller and Eddie Jones. Um, then went to New Orleans, played with Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler and David West. Um, I think you even played with McGrady after fighting. Yeah, him. went to Houston, played with <laughs> played with tra- played with Tracy and Yao Ming. Um, so the list <clears throat> goes on, man. With, with so what the was the difference between all those other players and that one team? Like what what brought you guys so close together? What bonded you guys? I think Rick Alderman did. You, you think know, so? I think the, the the general always like your coach is your is your is your general. Like he managed egos, he managed uh, <clears throat> playing time, and he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. And so most coaches don't know how to do that. It, yeah. It's a it's a skill to be able to manage egos every single day when you walk in the gym. And Chris Webber had the biggest ego out of anybody. Yeah, but. When he got here and he seen what Rick had implemented and the coaching style and giving him freedom and giving him a voice and our offense, you you couldn't you didn't know who was gonna have a big night. You couldn't game plan for who was gonna be successful that night. Yeah. You can game plan for Chris. Chris have a bad night, guess what? Page are gonna hit you for twenty five. Page ain't got 25. Mike going to hit you for 20, 25. Mm-hmm. If Mike ain't got it going, I'm going to hit you for 20, 25. Bloody the first. So the the brotherhood um, came from Rick Alderman and, and instilling in us that team has to come before I. And that was the most that was the, that was the most pivotal thing that he's always said. Like, if you guys are thinking about yourself, <clears throat> it ain't going to work. You guys got to be willing to give – each other's and have each other's back once you step on that floor. Is that what made you like him so much? Because you told me that he was your favorite coach. Uh, he's my favorite coach of all time. Yeah. Um, just because he number like I've always played for coaches that was yellers, and I hated yellers because it always felt like I had it challenged me as a man. Yeah, I and can I, see that. I, like don't 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 yell at me, bro. Yeah. And I tell you that to your face. Yeah. Like I got kids. You got kids. Yell at your fucking kids. Don't yell at me. And I would mm-hmm. tell the coach that me, like the coach in Minnesota, me had we had a a dispute. We got into a coach in Denver. We had a dispute. I cursed him out. Um, so it's all about respect. If you yeah. respect me in the work, workplace, and you talk to me, <clears throat> communication. Yeah, like that's the biggest thing. Like open lines of communication is huge. And most coaches back then. They was yellers and screamers, and I didn't like yellers and screamers. Now I had a yelling and screaming in Minnesota in college, but I you needed that at that time. I needed that because yeah. I was still a young man. There's a difference between college, high and school, pros, yes. and pros. Pros, yeah. you're dealing with grown men. You, you're dealing with grown men that make <laughs> yeah. their own money. They probably gonna be here longer than you, you are. are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so most some old school coaches didn't understand that. And I had a problem issue with it. Um, but the thing that set me apart with Rick was he brought me to his office and no other coach had done this. Like, define my role for me as a basketball player. Like, this is what I need you to do. I know you want to be a starter. But I think for us to be successful and for you to be successful, 
in your NBA career, I think this is the role that I think you will be. And I was like, cool, I'm rolling with it. Of course I went to practice. I went to practice trying to beat a good team player. A good team player, but bust Mike Bibby ass and Jason Williams ass every single day. Yeah. But I knew I my job was to make them better. And most guys don't know how to do that. They get caught in their feelings like, man, I ain't starting. Whatever. And then it affects their game and then it affects their play. With me, and I'm in a great situation to be where guys coming off the bench or I was a starter too. So I have both sides of the field that I can guide them and give them the right direction. Mm-hmm. You obviously did better off the bench with the Kings. And there's other teams where you went when you were a starter. What what do you feel like you why were you that as successful as a starter than off the bench? It was because of the coach or is it because something the team or what what do you think? I think it was the coach, but it's also I think it was me really diving in to my skill set and working really hard. Yeah. Like I would always be the first guy in the gym and the last guy in the gym. So I think that played a really, really huge part in me being successful. But I think Rick Allerman gave me the confidence to go out. If I made a mistake, he wouldn't pull me out of the game. Previously, coaches before that, if I made a mistake, one or two mistakes, they would pull me out of the game. He would let me pay, play through the mistakes. And so that helped me as a young coach, allowing guys to play through their mistakes and let them confidence. make mistakes. And if they make multiple, multiple, multiple mistakes, now you got to pull them to the side. But they didn't pull me out when – Rick didn't pull me out when I made one mistake. He allowed me to play through it, gain my confidence, and, and built my confidence yeah. uh, on the floor. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Um, what was uh, brotherly like outside of court? Like, did you guys all hang out, C-Web, d Doug, do you guys hang out outside also, or is it just during basketball? No, we we season. Well, like when the season is over, were you guys still kicking it or not? Well, most when season's over, most guys went because Sacramento is not a destination where guys want to yeah. spend the summer at. I end up staying here in the summertime because I had a, I had kids and I just my kids was born here and I just loved it here. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the majority of guys they they would probably go home. Yeah. Um. Uh, and, and like guys do now, they go home because they want to go to L.A. and they want to go to Miami. I actually, my first three or four years in the league, I went. I was working out in Miami, um, until I got a girl and then I got a couple kids. Yeah, because Miami's off the chain, yeah, baby. Always off the chain. So it, it, that Miami's that whole I tell dynamic, every single man, you better go to Miami before you get in a relationship, and get married. Yeah, you do. Miami's or Brazil. I haven't been there, but you better not go. <laughs> <laughs> you better not go. Oh shit! Uh, but you know, it it was that kind of like our relationship off the floor, man. It was it was amazing because we we like we was brotherhood. Like mm-hmm. you could you any could event, <clears throat> any birthday, um, hanging out. Like we did it all. We did it all, man. We did it all. We did it all. Fuck it. That guy. You all right, man? That Corona over here, man. You got. Six feet, baby. Give me six feet. <clears throat> Damn. I took a big hit. Let me get some water, bro. Shit, fuck me <laughs> up. Boy, over here smoke, choking on a <clears throat> cigar. Hey. <clears throat> <laughs> we got to have to edit that shit. <clears throat> nah, I'm fucking with you. Nah, no, no edits. No edits. <clears throat> he sound like he's smoking some weed over here, bro. <laughs> hey, my shit is, my shit is, uh, <laughs> let me tell you something, bro. I, don't, I only smoke, I told you, bro, I only smoke like two, three cigars a year, bro. This is new to me, bro, and I'm. Oh, man, that, <clears throat> that Olivia got you uh, on yeah. point over here. Hell yeah, I'm kind of feeling myself now. <laughs> nah, but um, 
So during that time, there was a lot of good teams. But, you know, Portland was stacked. Yeah. Everybody, Utah. Obviously, people are going to say Kobe, Shaq was the best duo. Yeah. Is there any any team that you think was underrated that you actually were on the court with them during that time that you were like, damn, this team was actually under the radar that you were people don't give them as much credit as you think that you think they probably deserve. Portland was really good. Portland, yeah. Portland, Portland was really good. Phoenix was really good with uh Stoudemire and, and Steve Nash. Dallas was really good with Steve Nash, Nash and, and Dirk. I remember that. Before Dirk before Steve Nash went to uh Phoenix. Um you guys played in the in the playoffs a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a lot of good teams, man. But I don't think anybody was better than that Lakers team, bro. Shaq and Kobe were um, a force to be reckoned with, and, and probably the two best players to play in that in, in that era. Yeah. Do you guys? Did you feel like you guys got robbed? You know, the ref went to jail for that. So how do you? feel? In hindsight, you- yes, but doing. During the playoffs, we felt we had uh, we felt that we can beat them. Yeah, especially when we went to the Western Conference Finals. Hell yeah, we had home court advantage. We had the best record. And I, honestly, after we lost that series, we kind of felt that we got cheated. Yeah, I we, I, we bro, felt, I was fighting people on the yeah, light roll over that we shit. Felt, <laughs> I for sure felt like you guys got cheated. I was we pissed. felt we got cheated, bro. And now all this. Information comes out a couple years later about refs fixing the games and um, kind of verify what what we had went through. But at the end of the day, like I don't like making excuses. Yeah. <clears throat> game seven at home, we should have won that game. Yeah. Like we beat ourselves game seven. That was probably the, the free throws were horrible. Yeah. That was probably the best ref game out of all seven games. Mm-hmm. And by saying that is like. We lost that game ourselves. They didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. Like with the missed free throws, the missed wide open threes, um, and so it just came down to uh, uh, the Lakes executing, and we didn't execute down the stretch. Do you think that it messed you guys up going to L.A. and being in a big city, going out or anything like that? Did that have anything to do with it, or it probably did? But <clears> we, were you like, guys going out? Or were you guys? Was everybody on a strict like let's win? Uh, nah, everybody went strict. Like, they wasn't strict. Nah, we weren't strict. I think because we don't have curfews. Hmm. Like it ain't like the NFL. Like you can't. You got to be in at like eleven or twelve. Like we didn't have curfews. Like the coach was like before the playoffs started. He was like, I want you. I'm gonna treat you guys like men. Being in a reasonable time, be a professional, and let's handle our business. That's all he had to say. Some people did it. Some people didn't. Uh, but I think everybody came uh, to the games ready, prepared, and willing to play. Um, and I think being in L.A., is, it's just a different monster, bro. Hell, yeah. It's a different monster. It's, you know, the lights and the glimmers. When you're talking about stable. distractions. <clears throat> It's a lot of distractions in L.A., but I don't think it distracted us. I think we had a lot of great we, – we had opportunities to win. Again, like I said, it's tough playing against eight people on the floor when you're supposed to be playing five. <laughs> uh, so um, I think we did everything refs. the right way. <clears throat> did we go out and did we have a good time? Were we in it? Uh, yeah, we like – well, that's what you're supposed to do. Like yeah. you're in the NBA, you in the Western Conference Finals. You supposed to go out and have a good time. Yeah, after you but win. then you supposed think. to be responsible and handle your business the right way. Um, and so, um, if we had to do it again, what would you uh, doing different? 
I don't like me personally. What what would I do differently? Or what uh, do you think the whole team could have done different to win, besides make free throws game seven? <laughs> like Vladi grabbing the rebound. Yeah, that fucking rebound. What, what can you do differently? Yeah, you know, fucking Robert Horry right to Ori. Bro. Yeah, Robert Horry. <laughs> Robert Horry hitting the three. Like if he makes, if he grabs that rebound instead of tapping it out, and. Yeah, that's three to one. Shit. I mean, it's yeah. little shit. Like yeah. we can look at all the the calls, the the free throws, the LA shot um, in game four. They shot twenty eight free throws in the fourth <clears throat> quarter. Like you can't control that. Yeah. Um. All you can do is Share control. A memorable, memorable game or time during that year, that crazy year, good year, successful year. What's one memory that you just love from that year with that uh. team? Oh, one memory that I love during that year. Um, I don't know if it was a – I think, you know, during that season, like, we was really good, and we traveled. And when we traveled, like, we would gamble all the time. And so while we gambled, you know, we would play this game called In Between. And so it would be me, Vladdy, I mean, me, Vladdy, Webb, and Mike. Yeah, me, Vladdy Webb, and Mike. And it'd be like Damon Jones or Mateen Cleaves. Um, so we playing this game called In Between. Two cards. Hey, you bet and see if the card comes in between, whatever card comes in between. If you don't get it, you got to match the pot. Oh, shit. <clears throat> so the pot gets up to <sighs> ridiculously like $60,000, Oh, where's this at? It's on the plane. <laughs> it's on the plane going to New York. Uh, so, Vladi ends up winning the pot. I end up losing a bet. Um, so, Vladi, cool guy he is, he's like, yo, I got an idea. I don't, I don't want you to pay me my money. I said, man, I can't. I don't want to pay you $67,000 anyway, bro. <laughs> he said, what I got to do? I said, what I got to do to get the hell up out of this bet? He said, you sure you going to do it? So the, he was like, you got to take all your clothes off. Oh, shit. On the plane. It's wintertime. Smack dead in the middle of winter in New York. From the plane to the bus to the bus to the hotel. So I take all my clothes off. All I got was a tank top, my boxers, uh, my church socks, and some, some hard bottoms. Coach... Coach Adam like, he looking at me, laughing at me, like, yo, what are you doing? Like, bro, like, Vladi, I just lost $70,000 to Vladi. <laughs> and he said, you got to take your clothes off. You got to get on the bus with no clothes. With the clothes that you got on, you got to get on the bus with your boxes and tank top on. Ride to the – and we stayed at the Trump Plaza. Go inside the Trump Plaza singing Who Let the Dogs Out. <laughs> <laughs> so no one had this on video no no video because you are lucky exactly no social media man so it wasn't it <laughs> wasn't Bobby it wasn't viral. no video <laughs> cameras no nothing like so i'm on a plane tank top draws on flight attendants looking at me like i'm crazy everybody dying laughing like if he would have said yo you got to get on the plane butt naked i would have got on the plane butt naked for seventy thousand dollars, bro. Hell yeah, shit. I'll do so it. he wiped the deck clean, <laughs> and all he had is all I had to do was sing "Who Let the Dogs Out" 
going into the Trump Plaza Hotel. And I sang Who Let the Dogs Out Like a Motherfucker. <laughs> and guess what? When I'm getting off the bus, oh, I'm shit. like, Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> Guys behind me are like, <laughs> So I'm walking like, Who Let the Dogs Out? Woof, 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 woof. Like I'm walking up the stairs, walking in the lobby. I'm singing Who Let the Dogs Out? Like a bunch of people in the lobby. Oh shit! A bunch of people in my life. So that's probably one of the funniest memories that I have during that year, uh, where I, I lost a lot of money to Vladi, and I had to pay him. And he, he was that it? way. Like he was not, he was not big on if he won. He wasn't that big on collecting money uh, for guys that didn't make money like him, which was so awesome and so cool. That's why he's where he at. Yeah, right now he got a good heart. Great heart, big he's, heart. Yeah, does he still bring that up to you every now and then? Oh, all the time. He do? Oh, uh, he tells that story all the time. <laughs> he tells it all the time. And I'd be like, yo, I would have went butt naked if you would have told me to go butt naked. I've been walking around like this, <laughs> covering my parts up, but I would have walked in there butt naked. So now we know what you, what you would do for 70000 Man, listen. <laughs> listen, man, like, that 70000 in my pocket, and I would have been like, yo, I would have did it again. Yeah. If it happened today, I would do it again. Shit. But I probably wouldn't be betting the type of money that you guys were betting that we were betting back then that yeah. I would now. I'm I'm L- such a tight you, ass right now. You're more stingy now. I'm way stingy. Now. <laughs> way stingy. So when uh, when did you know you had to retire? When did, how did that come about? Like how did you come to the conclusion Man. that it's time to retire? That's that's a good. That's actually a good, really good question. You know, I was like after the '09 season, bro. I was working out, that- and I was a free agent. Cause I still, I thought you still had a little bit more yeah, in the gas tank, yeah, baby. Yeah, I did. I, I, I was working out, um, and, and working out in the summer. I was playing and working out, skills and drill stuff. But I, I ended up breaking my hand in the summertime, early in the summer. Came back, was out about four or six weeks. Came back, working out again. Broke my hand again. Broke the same hand, and so leading up. Uh, I was kind of like, man, this is a sign. I'm a huge guy in like signs, like so. I think I thought that was a sign for me to move into a different direction, a different career, and I kind of wanted to go into coaching. And so I woke up that morning and I just told my wife at the time I was like, I'm done playing basketball. She was like, What? <laughs> so I'm done playing basketball. Called my agent. I said, I'm done playing basketball. He was like, No. You didn't even think about it? No, didn't even think about it. I woke up that morning just like, I'm done playing. And my agent was mad. My my ex-wife was mad. Hell yeah, she was mad. Was mad. <laughs> both, both was mad. They tried to talk me into it. And I was like, listen, I broke my hand twice. I've already talked to Jeff Petrie about me coming in uh, on the coaching aspect, like wanting to take the next phase of my career and be a coach. I had already laid these out two or three years before I retired, like making these connections, letting people know that I wanted to be a coach. So when I woke up that morning, it was a, they tried to talk me over They tried to talk me back into it, but I was like, no, I'm done. So I just retired that morning. Didn't even think about it. Woke up. like. Did you regret it later on or no? No, I didn't regret it. I probably could have played one or two more years. But for me, I'm like, What's the point of playing one or two more years and then you got your whole life to figure out out the basketball? And so it was kind of an easy gesture for me to to walk into that light. But most guys, they don't know how to do that. 
most guys try to hold on and hold on and hold on. Like I could have probably played a couple more years, but at that time I thought God was giving me a sign to say, you know what, time for you to move in a new direction. Yeah. Try to figure out what's the next phase of your life, how you're going to conquer it, uh, because you got 50 more years, 60 more years to do this. Yeah. So it was easy for me just to walk away and and uh, walk did, into the coaching side. Did coaching fulfill your basketball that love that you had for basketball, did it fulfill it for you? Like I, th- I think if I wasn't around coaching, I probably wouldn't went Miss, plumb crazy. Yeah. Like and, you probably would have regret yeah, retiring. Yeah, but I, I had the opportunity to still be around young guys, be on the floor with them, um, experience and get the knowledge and, and mm-hmm. understand the game in a different in a different eye as a coach. Like it's so much work that goes into coaching the players. As me, I didn't I didn't even think about. I just all we had to do is just show up and play. Yeah, watch film, get the scout report, and then we go play. Like that was the easy thing. Like coaching consists of so many different moving components that these guys don't even understand what it takes to be a coach. So for me, I like I got the players' eye. Now I got the coach's eye. Like you break down film, you watch film, you come up with schemes to try to beat other teams. You come up with plays that's going to put you in the best place in the best spot to allow you to be successful on the floor. Yeah. That's what coaching did. Like, as a player, you don't look at that. You just go out and play. You follow the game plan. You know who the hot guys are. You know who the main guys that you got a key on as a player. But as a coach, you got all those moving components that you got to yeah. think about. What's the best scenario? What's the best five on the floor at the right time? Yep. It reminds me how, of boxing. How do how do you how do you sub? Who are you subbing for? How many minutes are you gonna give the reserves? You know, if your starters are not rolling, do you wanna keep the bench in and allow them to finish the game? Special situations, out of bound plays, timeout plays. So it's it's coaching consists of so many moving components that that's why I love it because it allows you to grow as a young man and allows you to grow as a young coach, but it also allows you to be have an impact on your players and give them the right information to go out there on the floor to be successful. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, do you plan on maybe being a head coach one day or something? Is that something on your goals or something you would want to do or now? Or <clears throat> what's Bobby Jackson's coaching career looking like? Maybe somebody would want to uh, be on your team just because you're a black coach. <laughs> uh you know that's a good question you know i i you know anything that i do i always want to do it to 100. the best of my yeah go hard abilities and go hard or go home of course i would love to be a head coach and that's easy thing to say i mean but the toughest thing about being a head coach is you got 12 to 15 guys that you got to manage and you got to make sure that you're getting the best out of them and for me I can say I want to be a coach, and it's in my my future, in my sight. But sometimes it's not meant for you to be a coach. Yeah. And I know I want to be a coach. When that time comes, I know I'll be ready because of all the stuff that I've been through, the studying that I've been through, um, but also aligning your, aligning yourself with the right personnel to help you become successful. Um, it's just not that coach's job to make twelve to fifteen guys successful. It's a it's the assistant coaches, the, the video coordinators, the you know strength and conditioning guys, the 
physical therapy guys. So and that's I think what the head coach is in charge of. Everything. So <clears throat> I can say I would like to be a head coach, but there's so many moving components. And, of course, I would love to get my shot. If it doesn't, I won't be mad. I won't be upset. Will I be disappointed? Yeah, but because I know the work that I put in and I know the knowledge of the game that I know um, and the respect that I have for the game. Um, and being a coach is hard, bro. Hell yeah. It's hard. Like, people don't understand how hard it is. I like, understand. Managing <laughs> egos, <clears throat> managing egos and, 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 mm-hmm. and making sure everybody's on the right page and <clears throat> not showing favoritism. Like, it's, it's so hard. And I think that's the thing that I've, watched Luke do and I watched Jaeger do and I watched Rick do as a player. Uh, it, it allows you to take different things and different components from every coach that you've been a that you've been a part of and try to implement it into your coaching style. Yeah. I was trying to get you to say no, I don't want to do it because mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you get what you don't you know, when we talk about be careful what you wish for. No, I like <laughs> I think I like if that time comes and if it do comes, I know I'll be ready. Yeah. Will it be hard? It'll be extremely hard. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and that's the beauty of being a coach. It, it challenges you every single day yeah. to get the best out of your, your group of guys. I think you did a good job. I mean, me, I, I mean, I always looked out for you. Like I said, I watched you. I think you did a hell of a good job with Isaiah Thomas, man. I think you – I think you were a big part of him being good. Do you think you were or what? I Obviously, think, he worked hard and did his thing, but do you think you helped him? I tell people this all the time. Like I, I, even for me, like coaches are like stepping stones for you as a player. Yeah. Players are already good once they get into the NBA. Like you, you, like you got to the NBA because you was really, all, you was really good. Mm-hmm. Now, those guys that go over the top – now you have to have a different mindset once you get here. And Isaiah was a different mindset. Like, he worked harder than anybody that I know. Like, always the first guy in the gym, always the last guy in the gym. Wanted to watch film. We competed. We played one-on-one. Like, he was a student of the game. And I think that's why he was successful, being the number 60 pick. Hell yeah. He and, had a chip on his shoulder. And had a chip on his shoulder. And, <clears throat> and most guys get to the league, like, he wasn't satisfied. Jimmer Fredette was the number 10 pick. and He, he was, was satisfied. And he was, Isaiah was way better than him because Isaiah did all the things that Jimmer didn't want to do. Uh, and not saying Jimmer didn't work hard. Isaiah worked even harder. You know, he wasn't willing to. He was in a whole other gear. Yeah, he wasn't willing to succumb to. <clears throat> the success of making it to the league. He was willing to go far and beyond and overboard to make it and be an impactful player in this league. I think that probably also comes from, like, him, his background. You know, he probably always had that. He always had that chip. He always had to work that much harder. You know what I mean? Do when you you're little as shit, you yeah. got to have a chip. Yeah, you always you – always Like, I had a chip. Yeah. Like, I wasn't 6'5". I was 5'11". And so, I had a chip. And most small guys have chips. Like, Isaiah had a chip where he knew he was better. He was willing to work um, to be great. And I think that's the one thing that propelled him was his willing to work through all the adversities that he's seen in his life, especially with being small. And people, people kept telling him, you too small, you too small, you too small. 
and I kind of resonate and I understand that. So that chip was on my shoulder. He just took it far beyond with the work ethic. And then for me, it was my job when he said, yo, I want to be in the gym. It was my job to be there to help him fulfill his dreams. Cool. So after that, you ended up Comcast. You ended up with uh, Sports 1140. What was your career with all that? What, uh, what, what? How'd you end up back on the coaching and all that? What was that like? Tell me at that Sports 1140. Jack of all trades, man. So how did Thank that go? You. Did you like that? What would you like better, the radio or the TV? Probably the radio. Radio? TV's hard. What's hard about it that people don't know? <laughs> it's Tell hard. Us. For Tell me, us. it was hard because I was – I'm blunt and I'm honest. And for TV, you can't be blunt and honest. You got to be careful with what you say. Yeah, saying. you got to be careful what you say. And I wasn't willing to compromise my mm. integrity – um, to sugarcoat things. And I love TV. It taught me a lot of things. Um, but I also rubbed some people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, now I see that and I understand it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it allowed me uh, to do something, um, to see if I can tackle this this tough mountain, this, this, to climb this tough mountain, because it was hard, because I'd never done it before. Uh and I know basketball like the back of my hand. Yeah, but that's a different thing now. Yeah, it's a b- different thing. And it's now how you relay it where people can understand it. But when you're working for an organization or working for a team, you always got to make that team look inferior. And for me, I was always – You weren't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I was, I was <clears throat> saying what people seen – and they didn't want me to say what I seen. They wanted me to big up the team. And now I know that. Like, And when I watch other teams do it, like nobody talks bad about their, the teams that they work for. And, and for me, that was – and it wasn't like I was talking bad. I was just pointing out things that – The obvious. The obvious things. but From a basketball From IQ. a basketball person. Yeah. And that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Um, and so it was It was a great uh, stepping stone for me, but it taught Radio, me a lot of things, though. Radio's not like that? Radio's <laughs> the same way. Oh, it is? It is. Like, especially if you work for, say you work for KHTK, and that's the Kings Network. Like, you definitely got to do. Talk about good. Yeah, about you got to talk good things about the team and not the negative things or what you've seen. Well, well. That should that play shouldn't have been drawn that way. It should or have been a. Like they should have subbed this. Or it yeah, have been, yeah, you can't you can't give your honest opinion. honest opinion. Like you got to give a. I can see you political a, opinion. Yeah, I can see you having a hard time and with that. For me, I, it battled with me because Vladi pulled me to a side. and was like, "Yo, you got to You got to change this up. You got to You got to stop talking bad about the, the team. <laughs> Come the on, guy, we let the, the dogs out, baby. Yeah, the, guy, the guys are the guys are looking at you like you ain't a part of them. I said, you know what? If they got a problem with me, tell them come see me. Yeah, and it's just it, I'm, I'm riding with them. It's just what I see as a basketball player, and it wasn't like, oh man, he sucked. He uh, he don't need to be on the floor. It was just like certain plays that I would break down and be like, no, nah, that shouldn't happen that way. That it should have been a uh, that play should have been executed better. That was a bad turnover by Demarcus Cousins or Rondo need to become a much better shooter. He has to be able to knock that shot. Like those type of Comments things, you gotta no be able to. <clears throat> you gotta be able to explain it 
in a positive manner instead of a negative manner. Now I get it. And if I had to do it again, I probably would change it because it, it number one, it helped me grow as a, it helped me grow as a young coach. Mm-hmm. Now I'm dealing with guys. Now you pick and choose your battles. I wasn't willing to pick and choose my battle. You know, four years out of the league, four or five years out of the league, still thought it was relevant, still was, you know, a little cocky and, and had a little bravado and thought I knew the game. So it kind of humbled me and brought me down to life to, to really appreciate um, what the real people are going through, you know. And so I think that that was something that really, really helped me throughout my career. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so after all that, you ended up back on the coaching staff now. Um, I wanted to ask you this. Is there any player that you uh, – you have you ever said anything? Like, have you talked to any of your uh, guys that you worked with the same way that that first uh, coach in college talked to you? Like, mm-hmm. hey, yo, you have the skill to do this. You need to do this. It's just straight up with them. Have you done that? I'm always straight up with them. I mean, but I but some people probably don't take it the same way, huh? They don't. Yeah. Like, you got to know who your player is. Um, in today's NBA, like I, like I grew up in an old school NBA where you got talked to like you was a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, like you got to be positive, and then once you're positive and positive, now you got to take that one negative, and you got to show them on film instead of calling them out. In front of everybody, I think that's the biggest thing for me. Like, like I, I, I kind of frowned upon coaches trying to call me out and be disrespectful in front of me. So I've kind of taken that and implemented it into my coaching style. Where if I see something wrong, I just pull a guy to a side, and I'll be like, "Yo, you keep making these same mistakes, bro. Like, you can't do this because if you keep making these same mistakes, coach is seeing them, and then your playing time and minutes gonna diminish." So I'm pulling you to the side so you, you can that. correct it and I can see it. He's like, yeah, I know. And, and that's how I handle it now. I don't like to do it in front of everybody. I like to just yeah. pull them to the side, show them on a tape, and then allow them to make the adjustments. And then if they don't make the adjustment, that's on them because now the coach is seeing them making it. And now I'm just trying to warn them how not to keep making those same mistakes. And now it's affecting your playing time. Yeah. <clears throat> After the whole bat, the coaching and everything, I know you said you invested in a lot of businesses. One is the cigars. You did cigars. You did, and, and now you're getting your basketball academy up and going. Well, t- before we talked about your basketball academy, tell me about all your investments you made and and did you learn anything? Good investments, bad investments, any ones that you were like, damn. Tell me about that. Experience. Yeah, you you. I mean, as a player with money, you always you always want to invest in things that allow you to grow. I've had, you know, I think the very first thing that I invested in was basketball town. I don't think you, uh, it, it was over in uh, Rancho. Mm, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Off of uh, Sunrise. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Folsom. I, yeah, I invested. That was the first basketball facility that I invested in. Doing really good. Uh, did camps. Um, did clinics. Did AAU tournaments. It was probably one of the best investments I made. Then I got out of it. Uh, and so you, you always – have ups and downs. I invested in film. Um, and, and in film? Yeah, with a um, guy named here, Deion Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually has some really hot movies lately. Um, <clears throat> the Intruder, um, Black and White, 
Um, he's doing a really good job. So I did that maybe 10 years ago where I invested with Dion, and he's taking off, and he's, you know, the skies are the limits. I invested. He's from SAC? Yeah, he's from SAC. Oh. Lives in Granite Bay. Brother, uh, he's really, really doing a really good job. Um, made Meet the Blacks. Got Meet the Blacks 2 coming out. Um, and so, like, his career is taking off, and I did that a long time ago. Um, what do you look at when you're going to invest in something? What do you look for besides the business aspect of what kind of business it is? What do you look for? Do you look anything in particular as far as a person's character? or what, what, what is something that draws you to investing in something? I think, number one, when I, when I say tell people that when they think about investing, I would, like, do your homework first. Mm-hmm. What's do your homework? homework? What's the homework? Homework is is <laughs> finding out every detail and every – um, nook and cranny you can find, you know. Um, just because it looked good on the outside may not be good on the outside and the mm-hmm. inside. So, uh, I always tell people that like, make sure you do your homework first, you yeah. know, uh, and, and and make sure you don't look at it from a, a perspective where you're looking in the glass and you can see it. Just make sure you dive deep into it if that's what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like, always trying to figure out what's the best fit for me. Because uh, people all like, if once you're in the NBA, like, I guarantee every NBA player is going to get hit with a thousand. Investment yeah, opportunities. It, so many opportunities to invest in things. Now it's on you to make those opportunities and make that decision which Pick one wisely. is best for you. Now some going to be good and some going to be bad. I remember I invested in this real estate company. <laughs> and <laughs> the dude embezzled all the money. And oh, luckily, shit. I didn't invest a lot of money. And the dude ended up going to jail for a long time because he embezzled what, $30 million of dollars. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was a kid, dude from Sacramento. And luckily, I don't, like he kept, like, you need to invest $2 million with me. You need to invest $2 million with me. We, we're, we're building homes. We're building we're buying up Sacramento and the dude. What, what did you do wrong there? Did you not? I do didn't your do it. like I only invested. Like I, the crazy thing about it, I, I, I was like, you know what? I am going to give you a little bit of pot. You can flip these little bit of home. So I invested like thirty, forty grand. Mm-hmm. I didn't invest. Like he wanted me to invest two million. So within that thirty, forty million grand, I didn't like. What I was getting back from it, so from that it was just like it kept yeah, that me was away. a red flag. It was a red flag. Yeah, um, like I'm gonna give you two million dollars and you can't do the right thing with thirty, forty. Like that don't even make sense. So for me, I gave him a little piece of the pie. I didn't give him a huge piece of the pie. Um, then I invested in marijuana. Yeah, I remember you telling me yeah, about that. I invested in marijuana. And, How'd that go? Uh, one went good and one didn't go good. Again, I think what the was ba- the difference between the good and the bad one? Embezzlement. Oh yeah. shit! Another one. Yeah. Like, some people like too? yeah. People oh. uh, here's the thing. <laughs> people don't like. I'm probably the. I'm like so honest and I'm yeah. so like money doesn't because I I came from nothing. Mm. So for me to say you know what people when they see money and they see liquidation they like ooh yeah I got to get that. But there are a lot of honest people out here and doing it the right way. And then I found another person that's doing it the right way. And one person's doing it the wrong way. And luckily I went with, with the wrong one. 
I went with the right one and I went with the wrong one. So oh. the thing about like whenever I invested, I never invested full throttle. Yeah. Like I always give you a little bit. See what you do with it. See first. what you do with it. And then then I can make my decision if I want to give you a lot. Yeah. So makes sense. That's a good tip. Yeah. So that was just me. Like I would never tell somebody to come in and throw a bunch of money in one thing. Mm-hmm. Like give them a little piece of the pie to see what they can do with it. And now you're not like, man. It's motherfucker. Uh, like because of with investments, you're always gonna there's a risk that comes with investments. Um, but it's also having the right team, doing your due diligence, making sure you do your your screen checks and make sure you make sure people is legit. Legit. They ain't got like if I I got this my model. Like if I if I find one person say one thing bad about you, it ain't meant for me to work with you, bro. Yeah. That's just how I am. Like if somebody's like if a, as a businessman you won't say one bad thing about me, and I think it's like I think it's easy to do. Like I think it's easy to be a good person, a good-hearted person when you, once you're diving into business. So what made me do my own thing with the basketball academy? I got tired of giving my money to other people. I said, shit, I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah, I can control this. Like Hell I know yeah. basketball like the back of my hand, like you know boxing like the back of your hand. Yeah. Why give your money to somebody else when I can invest in my own self? Hell yeah. And so for me, that what made me get into the basketball academy and doing this because I know if I mess this up, it's, it's on the back of Bobby Jackson. Yeah. Not on the back of somebody else. So that what made me really become my own entrepreneur. What's gonna what tell me about your bas- basketball academy? What is it gonna be like? What is it gonna what 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 is it gonna be different from all the other ones? Tell us more about it. I think the biggest thing that's gonna be different is uh, we're actually we have a fifty two week curriculum um that consists of making kids better every single day. And Larry Hughes says it best. we just reinventing the sauce. Just like you with the with boxing, you just reinventing the sauce and mm-hmm. you have a recipe and you have an eye for getting boxers um, to the pivot of the careers. And yeah. I think basketball has been around for so long and people try to reinvent the wheel. It's not about reinventing the wheel. like Because everybody can be a trainer. Everybody can be a boxing trainer. Everybody can be a basketball trainer. I agree. But the biggest thing for me is everybody doesn't know what it takes to get an athlete to that to his elite level and be consistent in that whether it's high school whether it's college and then you can say you know what i did, i had i had a foot in this kid being successful and for me i don't look at it as a monetary thing I actually genuinely love watching kids get better every single day. I love it's that not, you I love that you said that. It's I, not about money for me. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, man, the reason why I feel like I'm doing good with what I'm doing is because I don't look at it as the money thing. I honestly just love doing it. Yeah, yeah. Now money is always a good thing because you gotta pay your bills, yeah. but at the end of the day, you gotta I, be smart about it, yeah, obviously. You do. I I love watching kids get better every single day. I love watching them grind. I love watching them come in and pick up the skills every single day. And that's the reason why I created because if coaching doesn't work out, now I can walk away and I can dive into my academy doing this and 
not have to go but like man do i want to keep doing coaching or do i want to focus on this yeah so coaching is right now if i'm a I'm going to stick with coaching as long as it takes me. But I know I got basketball, my basketball academy over here that I know where you can develop these young kids from a young age and then they get from elementary to junior high to high school to college. And then once they get to college, then you'd be like, go ahead. You, you, like, you're old enough to make your own decision. Now, if I've done a great enough job and you're still comfortable with me, once you develop into that player that you want to become, now – you can just come back and just work out and be the person that you are yeah. within our facility. So for me, it's just developing really young, giving them the right fundamentals and yeah. skills to understand it. But it's also about allowing them to be young men and young women um, and talking to them and, and reinventing them, but also giving them the confidence to go out there and believe in themselves. Yeah. You had mentioned to me that you wanted to do something similar to what I'm doing with the warrior program with levels and stages and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Did you put something together like that yeah. yet? Yeah. Like I said, we got a 52-week curriculum. And, and the tough thing about it, when Corona hit, I've only had two classes. And luckily I didn't go build this big old yeah. facility. I rented out Whitney High School, school, and we was doing it two days a week. We was giving a test run, and we were seeing how it was going. We was getting really good numbers. And, and then this Corona year, came and it kind of put up. us on the back burner. But – uh, I've been talking with my team and we've been coming up with innovative ways to do online um, courses uh, to our members uh, with Chris Paul and Larry Hughes. We're all in the, under the same umbrella. BTS is, is the company that's guiding us and giving us um, the right information. I was just on a long call today trying to come up with video content to put on the website. Uh, but the biggest thing is like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Like we're in a period where you don't know what's going to happen. So just try to drive as much content to your website and, and, and social media. So when it's time for this to be over with, now you have a platform to stand on and people are going to keep coming back to you and, yeah. and you have it. Um, so once you get back and going, like I, I'm always be a part of Jose Morales Boston Cat because I love what you do. I think you're a great guy. Uh, but I also think you're you're a great trainer also. Thank and you, that's brother. the reason why I don't go nowhere where I feel like it's bullshit. Yeah. So, I appreciate that. No brother. problem. I think you're you do a great that. job and you you you've been a stellar in this community for so many for so many years, taking over a prime time and turn mm-hmm. turning into Jose. I can honestly say I'm proud of you, bro. Thank you, bro. Because this shit was some, some shit when when before you came over. Yeah. And uh I like what you've uh done and uh, when I talk to you about it, trying to get some ideas and inputs, and um, you want me to get in part of, be a part of, what is it? In, what hey, Electa Incarnate. Electa Incarnate. Yeah. Yeah. When when I get when I get it cracking, I'm a, I'm gonna definitely be a small. Come over to the small member side and and, and check you guys out. Yeah. Um, what I was gonna talk about, it, you know, about the gym and everything. Uh, we should talk about fantasy football, baby. <laughs> 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 hey, I'm gonna say something about. Bobby, Bobby's been boxing for shit eleven years. Boy, he got hands, bro, and he probably already had hands, you know, growing up in the hood, bro. Bobby got hands. I I put money on Bobby boxing any basketball player. Bobby smacking him. I, I I've always said it, man. Bobby got hands. So, well, you, you tell him about fantasy football, bro. I, I tell well, him what happened. Number one, fantasy football. I hate fantasy football <laughs> because I never pay attention to it. Like. 
It'd be my week. Hey, you say you didn't like excuses, bro. Don't come up with excuses now. (laughs) I'm just telling you, bro. Like, it'll be my week, and I'll have, like, it's nine players on the on the team, right? Bro, it's only once a week you check it, bro. But I don't check it that much, bro. Just like, and I have week. like, I have like five or six people playing. And I have like three guys not playing because I didn't go in and change my roster for the week. Not making no excuses. Sometimes I did it, but majority of the times I didn't do it. Yeah. So I would come in last. <laughs> I came in last like the last two years. <laughs> I came in last the last two years. Um, and what happens when you come last in our fantasy have, football league? You got to get in the ring and spar everybody that's in the league, hey. which is draining, bro. Hey, bro did good, though. He was putting hands, bro. He was doing good, was, but at the end, it collapsed. Bro, I was tired, bro. <laughs> I was tired. Because Big – what's Big Daryl? Yeah, Daryl's a big, big dude motherfucker, bro. tried to test me, bro. <laughs> Six seven. He bro. was six seven. He he was testing me, bro. Like he, <laughs> I couldn't get I couldn't get around his jab. He kept jabbing the shit out of me, <laughs> and so I just like he was like get him get up in him. I was like, all right, I got up in him, got him on them ropes. He was over with, but he kept jabbing the shit out of me. I couldn't figure out how to get around that jab. Hey, because he's big, man. He got that length, man. He got that length. He was jabbing the shit out of me. <laughs> hey, it was good times. Oh, man, that was good times. But I appreciate it. But right after that, though, first thing Bobby said is, I ain't doing this shit next year. I ain't doing year. this shit no more. <laughs> he said, that's I'm it. I'm not doing this no more, man. I'm not made to be no fighter. Yeah. Like, I fight, but not like that, bro. If I have to. If I have to. I'm not. <laughs> like, that's a whole, like, and that's the one thing that I respect about boxers. Mm-hmm. The mindset, the physical aspect, the mental aspect, and the conditioning that comes with being a boxer, man. It's probably one of the toughest things outside of sports. And like and people think coming in a boxing ring is easy. No, no it's not. Man. It's hard. Yeah. Like to is. condition yourself to be a great boxer. And I'm one number one, I don't know why anybody wanna get hit upside the fucking head. <laughs> like and to be a boxer. Like I don't wanna spar, I don't wanna do nothing. I just wanna hit a bag that doesn't hit back. Like I don't like my fighting days <laughs> over with. So no, I don't wanna fight, I don't wanna spar. Hey, but it's a whole nother level, huh? It is, man. It's it's like it's a different level. And that's yeah. the one thing that I respect about boxing. That's why I love boxing. Yeah. Because I know what it takes and the toughness and the grit, the grind that you gotta go through to become a really good boxer. It's like no other other sport. Hell like no. you actually by yourself. Like it's not a team. Yeah. Like you got your guys on the outside of your corner, your corner man, but you're in that damn ring by yourself. Basketball, you got I got four other guys I can rely on. Yeah. Golf, you by yourself. Tennis, you by yourself. But that's not a physical nah, combat. No, you don't get tested like nah. this. No, nah, you get tested. In you boxing. don't get tested by your manhood. Everything. Oh yeah, yeah. You go. You don't get tested by getting jabbed in the face or get punched in the eye. So yeah, you that's tested. the one thing I love about boxing, man. You get to like it, it. It allows you to grow, but it allows you to reach areas in your training that you didn't know you can reach. But it also makes you feel good about yourself. Yep. Cool. So I'm going to start asking you some off-the-wall questions now that have nothing to do with anything, just off-the-wall. And just first thing that comes to your mind, just answer it. Favorite restaurant in SAC? Whew. Favorite restaurant in Makuni's. Makuni's. Damn, bro, Makuni's is hot. That's the third person to tell us Makuni's. Yeah. What's your favorite role at Makuni's? Uh, DM, DMC role. Oh, you or, like the cousin's role, yeah, the crab. DMC role or the uh, train wreck. Or the lobster volcano roll. 
So I got those three that I kind of go back and forth with. Okay. Yeah. Tell us something about Bobby Jackson not many people know. And don't tell me the twin that you got a twin. I know that. Give me well, some. Nobody, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tell, uh, them, tell, them, tell them that. that Bobby has a twin sister. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably one of the probably most generous person that you know. Like, I give you the share off my back. That's how my mom was. Yeah. Um, and so it I remember, allowed me to. I, that's another thing I love about you, bro. I'm a mama's boy, too. And uh, I remember your uh, wrist, your um, wristband, band, yeah, yeah, band. Sleeves, yeah. It said Sarah. Yeah. No, I was I was straight mama's boy. And probably people don't know that. I was a mama's boy. Yeah. And uh, Ain't no wrong with being a mama's nah, boy, it's not. Baby. Ain't no nah, wrong with being be a mama's boy. You can be manly and, have a, and be yeah, a mama's boy. I'm a mama. I'm still yeah. a mama's boy. So. <laughs> Shit. Um, another thing. Uh, if someone is looking to be and get in the NBA, what would you tell them? What kind of uh, advice would you give them? Someone crying out these youngsters out here. Get, what, lace them up on some game, Bobby. What would you tell them? Uh, number one, I would say that the biggest thing that I find in young kids now is wanting to be in the NBA. I think most people want it given, given, given to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, your work ethic, um, your desire – um and your decision making and your sacrifice has to outweigh any other thing. When I mean sacrifice, like most people don't know what sacrifice mean when it comes to becoming an NBA player, especially a young NBA player. Like in high school, most of my friends wanted to drink and smoke weed and party. And in college, you want to drink, smoke weed and go to all the parties. Like that those are sacrifices that you have to make. Uh, to become an NBA player. Like, I didn't drink and smoke until I got done playing professional basketball. And so that sacrifice for me was I knew what I wanted. I would say don't get caught up into all the hype. Don't get caught up into the hoopla. Be your own man. Be your own feet. Be your own woman. And walk in your own lane. And, and don't be a follower. That's good advice. Yeah. Because there is a lot of followers. People try to do something because so-and-so is yeah, doing it yeah. and not because it's in their heart. Um, anything you want to add on to the podcast bro, before we end it? Anything you want to add? No, man. I'm having no. a good time. I, th- I appreciate you for having me on, man. Yeah, bro. It was great conversations, man. Yeah, it was good, bro. Great conversations. Now I'm going to ask you, what made you want to start this uh, Jose Morales Boxing Academy and change from prime time? What made me? Yeah. Uh <clears throat> shit man a lot of things but the biggest one i wanted to make it me you know mm-hmm. what i mean a prime time wasn't me you know what i mean i mm-hmm. wanted to make it me i wanted to the biggest thing is i wanted to in, the warrior program that's me that's something i created yeah. it's something like you said i wanted to change people's lives outside of boxing and i wanted to make them a better version so when they on did their own thing outside of boxing or in boxing or their world champions i'd be like you know that was me and I felt like I couldn't do that under the primetime umbrella. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So that's what made me do it. And I think ever since I did, it's probably the best decision I made, man. What, um, what do you think the biggest – what was the biggest jump from you leaving primetime to Jose and, and, and gambling on yourself? So, like, you got other small businesses that want to take that jump, but they're scared. What would you tell them? Oh, I would tell them – Quit fucking overthinking it. I didn't overthink it. I I knew what I wanted to do. I left it prime time because I wanted to see if I could do it under prime time. But I felt like prime time had been established for so long. I already had an identity. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't change that identity. 
And uh, with me, as soon as I came and I, I made it me, I didn't think about it twice, but I said, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I think that's what people struggle on. People start to think and think like how you did it. When you were going to retire, you were like, fuck, I'm done. You didn't overthink that shit. You no. just said, I'm done. And that's what I did. I said, I'm done. I'm going to change it. I'm going to make it me. So that's what I would tell people. Don't overthink whatever decision you're making. If, it, if it's in your heart, it's in your heart. You know when there's there's a difference when you feel it in your heart, when it's just like, uh, I want to go to Hawaii, when it's just a bullshit, just a thought that you want to do versus when it's in your heart, like, damn, I really do want to move to Hawaii. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a different type of, you feel it when it's coming from your heart. So if it's coming from your heart, man, just jump on it and do it. And that's that's exactly what I did. And I and I love it, man. I, I gambled on myself, and I would do it again if I, if I had to. It's just kind of like you're gambling on uh, Bobby Jackson Academy. Yeah. Jump I, on that I, shit. I think that's the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing with being small businesses and, and be believing in yourself and gambling in yourself, you got to be willing to take that leap of faith. Hell yeah. Man. And understand that there's going to be some bumps along that road and that drive. But I think if you believe in yourself, guess what? Once you find the right people that can carry out your game plan mm -hmm. and, and follow your dream, I think then you got a great thing going. I think you got a good thing going here. I love coming Thank here. Thank you, bro. Um, nothing but great things um, from you. And uh, when I walk in here, Kelly, running the running the business yeah. day to day, and, and and allowing it to grow with David and great yeah. trainers, guys that really understand the game. And yep. the one thing I really love about it is you got guys that's really boxers, mm -hmm. that's trainers. Yeah. And now you're allowing them to grow and build their brand, but exactly. also believe in themselves. That's what I, I really love that. Yeah, thank you, man. I and it's similar how you said Rick Adelman had that conversation with you guys and was like, "Yo, as a team," and that is the same thing that I do. I have my team. Uh -huh. I'm like, "Look, bro, this is this is the vision. That's what we need to do, and let's all put the puzzles together." And I think that's what you got to do with any business. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has to believe in the vision that's for the business, and then at the same time, they got to have their vision, what they're working towards for themselves. You know what I'm saying? Last thing. What's up? What made you start this podcast? Oh, shit. Uh, I honestly did not want to do it for uh -huh. the longest time. I didn't want to do it. A lot of people told me I didn't want to do it. The one that made me do it, I went to St. Louis, and I met up with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs worldwide. Uh -huh. And this dude comes up to me. His name is Rob. Comes up to me, and he's like, bro, you need to start your podcast. And he tells me the reason why. He's all, And this is what made me change. He said, you have a platform already. You have so many people around you yeah, yep. that you can talk to, that you can promote. And then, you know, how big would it be that you get to promote people out of your gym? You know, you're, uh, talk to about their businesses, talk about their life, and get, to pe get people familiar with people in your gym. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, you could, get, you could talk to – it's so much easier. Like, for example, let's say I didn't know you and you didn't come here. If I told you, sent you a message on Instagram, hey, I want, I really look up to you. I want to meet up with you or I want to talk to you more. You're not most likely going to connect with me versus me telling you, hey, my name's Jose Morales. I have this podcast. I'm a big fan of yours. I would love to share your story. Mm -hmm. You're most likely going to connect with that versus me just saying, you're awesome. I look up to you. You get a million of those messages. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So that's really what sold me on it. And plus, since I started doing it, I've noticed it. a lot of people don't like them, but 
each episode hits different people. Yeah, it like, does. you know, I have one episode is female based. So mm-hmm. a lot of men ain't gonna feel it. It's cool. But if this is a female based one. Like yeah. right now, a lot of basketball people are probably gonna feel yeah, yeah. this. The females ain't. So it, it I enjoy it. I I network, a great way to network, but on top of that is a great way to market your business without even marketing your business. And here's the thing. Boxing is for females and males. Yeah. So whether it's me, if a, like my job is to, like how I kind of perceive life is, my job is to inspire females, males, kids. And I think that's the platform that you have. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm a, like the one thing that I've said, like I've like, when going into businesses, I always try to find things that I know like, damn, that sounds like a really, really good idea. So I got approached the other day about this streaming company called XOD. And they want me to run the Sports Unlimited department, uh, which is they got their own online streaming. You charge and you pay. And I get to be the guy that runs that and these guys are in Atlanta. I'm still molding it over, and I'm still trying to figure out how I can work that in because my schedule is crazy. But, like, you get approached by so many people, and you look at so many different investments. And that's not even investment. They want me to run it. My thing is, do I have the time to run it and bring content to their site? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And then within that site, you own your own. Mm-hmm. You ain't got to pay. People, they going to stream it for you. You give them a percentage, but you own the rights to your own company yeah. and your own podcast. So just talking about it, like I got approached three days ago. A guy came to my house, sit down. We had a great meeting. I was on the phone with the CEO. He knows I have the connections through the NBA. And he kind of wants to market it through all sports. Yeah. Uh, and give people, because number one, Facebook is raping you, you YouTube is raping you, yeah. Instagram is raping you. Why not benefit from all your live streaming events and you profit and alleviate the middleman? Yeah. So I got approached with that. So when you talk about building your own brand, brand like, how do you get people to, like, say, how do you get, like, say, David Melgoza. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to believe in themselves and say, you know what, David? I think it's your time to go out and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you give him I actually direction? had that conversation with him. How would you give of- him the direction to go? Because David is super dope and he's super talented. Like, for me, I love building guys up and I love seeing people be successful. So, so how do you take David and say, you know what, David? I think it's time for you to do your own shit. Yeah. I actually had that conversation with him a lot of times. But the way I think it starts to doing that, that's a good question, Bobby. The way you start to do that is with building their confidence, getting yeah. them to believe in the system and believe in everything. A lot of trainers that are just teaching uh-huh. d- don't jump the ship to having their own gym or running their own thing because they don't have the confidence behind the front side of it. Uh-huh. You know, the marketing, the lease all that they don't have that so you have to kind of baby them into that like look get them to see how you're going to run that the system getting them to believe in how they're going to do it once they get more and more familiar with all that then like okay it's not that bad 
You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then that's how you slowly kind of push them into the pool. So how did you get there? How did Me? you get there? Yeah, how did you get to? I know you took the leap, but how? Like, is there a person or individual? Or yeah, coming to faith moment. Who was that person or individual or that coming to moment that made you realize that it was time for me to jump into Jose Morales Boxing Academy? Me is uh, my back my background before me teaching. Me, uh, I I was in the automotive business. Uh, I was able to manage a service department, cars and all that, and I was able to make it. I had employees, you know. I had big. I had a big team. It was like 40, 40 people that I was overlooking, you know, and cars and everything. So me being 21, 22, doing that gave me that confidence. Like, oh, shit, I could run a business in cars. How the fuck am I not going to do it with something I know? Like you said, I have, now I'm investing in myself. If I was able to do it with something I did not like, something I did not love, there's no way in hell I can, I'm not going to make it happen with something I do love. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I got the confidence behind it. That's where I got my feet wet. Like, okay, this shit is this shit is something I, I doable, something I can do. Uh-huh. So then when I got to boxing, I already had that confidence. I already dealt with payroll. I had already dealt with taxes. I already dealt with all that. I was ready to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where I have to get David to see. I have to get all my trainers to see. But th- those are the steps we're taking. Because first, he's got to get familiar with how to teach mm. trainers. Because mm-hmm. you, you're not going to be able to uh, be a, have your own gym if you can't teach somebody to run your program or run this. And that's what I'm working on with him right now is, you know, you got to be a leader now. Yeah, not just not just teaching class. You got that down, mm-hmm. but now you got to be a leader. And that's what it takes. You got to be a leader. When you run a gym, you're a leader, bro. Yeah. Any business, you're a leader. Yeah, but, yeah without doubt. With, so that's what I'm working with him on. But that's definitely my plan with everybody. I tell, I tell all the trainers that I come across me, if you're still with me in 10 years, still something's teaching, wrong. something's wrong, bro. Yeah, yeah. Something's wrong with that. You shouldn't be here. You should have your own shit. Got you. Yeah. Last question. What's up? Know that you're a family man and you, you got a beautiful wife and you got two kids. How does the Jose Morales Boxing Academy um, help you improve your family? But how does your family help you improve Jose Morales Boxing Academy? You have to have a good balance. Mm-hmm. So it is. It's. I think um, a lot of people have a hard time balancing that out. Like if you go all in on your business and you kind of don't spend time with your family. That's where that, especially with the fitness aspect, like I'm here with females, bro. Yeah, you know, I'll be, yeah, no. yeah, fine ass females. Yeah. Sorry, my, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> fucking Bobby. So, Hey, no, it's true though. It's true. My wife be like, yo, uh, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? So you, you have to bring them along. You know, they got us BC, that you're actually grinding. You know what I mean? They got to be living it with you. So yeah. I'll bring them to, like, at the beginning, I'm like, bro, if you don't believe I'm grinding at the gym from 5 a.m. to come on 8 p.m., come up here with me. Yeah. See what I'm doing. So you can see it. I did that a couple times, and then she got to the point, like, okay, bro, I, I believe you. Yeah. Like, And once they see that, you get the trust. They know what you're doing. Okay. I mean, you got to really do that. And then at the same time, you got to spend time with your kids. Yeah. Spend time with your wife and not all business. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I've always been in that life where I've always, like, with my kids and my ex-wife, like, I've, I've always traveled a lot, and I've always been busy. So not, but I've never owned my, I've never owned my own shit. Like, I've always invested with, mm-hmm. invested with partners. So now I'm finding that 
with my own academy, now I got to find time to do things. I got to be locked in, but also have a balance with my kids and yeah. my family, but also make sure that I pay attention <clears throat> to them, but also you know something I make do them that a helps. part of everything. I set up dates particular for like Friday is for my wife only. Sunday, we flip-flop with my kids. Like on Sunday, uh-huh. I'll be with my oldest, she'll be with my youngest, and we go on dates with them. Okay. Just to create that one-on-one. Got you. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Saturday, we're all together. We'll do whatever the hell together. And then Monday through Friday, Friday uh, and I'm all gym. Got you. All gym. Got you. And then on fights, I bring them with me. When we go fight out of town, my family with me. They're in the stands cheering for our boxers. They're there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. We celebrate together. They're a part of it. Okay. You know, bring them with you. Right. But, yeah, it is. That is a hard uh, with balance. anything. Yeah, okay. a hard balance. All hard right. balance. Appreciate that, man. No, I appreciate you asking the questions. Um, anything? How how can people keep up with Bobby in the uh, Bobby Jackson Basketball Academy? How can they stay in touch? What's your social media uh, handles? My social media Instagram is bjba, um, and my my website is uh, the Bobby Jackson Basketball Academy uh, dot com. Um, uh, I'm Bobby Jackson seventy three, uh, but you know I just try to make sure that it, that you know I make sure I'm taking the right steps um, with this long haul. It's going to be a long haul. Like it, it's like people want instant gratification really quick. And sometimes some things take some time to, to develop and, and get um, driven in the right direction. And, and so I'm in for, for the long haul, just like you were, you, you believed in yourself. And I think when this Academy gets up back and running, I know it's going to be, totally different than what everybody else is doing because number one like i said i implemented a warriors stages stages where we got beginners we got intermediate and then we got advanced and you grow with the shirts that you receive and so within the 52 week with the 52 week curriculum i know other trainers and other uh, gyms are not doing this and it's proven because chris paul and larry hughes is doing it yeah. Now is for me being in this Sacramento area where <clears throat> you're known and you're respected. And we I'm love respected, you here. But this market is so saturated with basketball. And the only bad thing is like, I'm all about doing things the right way. Fundamentally disciplined, being organized, being structured. We got the same. And head. So it may take some time, but I know, and I don't want to – I don't talk bad about other trainers. I just know – I talk about myself that I know I'm going to be doing something totally different than what everybody else is doing. And once that time comes where they see that my academy is thriving, it will probably be one of the best academies in Sacramento. Hell, yeah. In the world, baby. We're going to go for the world. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I, you made me think of this, but I see there's a lot even with here in the gym – I feel like a lot of trainers go day in, day out and just run the class or run the thing without really trying to teach and without really trying to groom somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I hold our, the trainers here is like, bro, make sure you're teaching. Make sure you're grooming them. Make sure you're, you know what I'm saying? Teaching comes with studying. Yeah. And to be a great teacher, you have to study what your craft is and just because you know what you're doing like i've been in basketball since i was nine years old but i had to take a different path with starting my own academy i had to be susceptible to 
listening to Chris Paul, listening to Larry Hughes, meeting them and following their curriculum that they have already had for over five years. And they got over 450 members in both academies. And that's what you, that's your goal is to get to them. Like, and I'm not like number. The biggest thing is being humble and being, you never know everything. Yeah. You don't know everything. Like, so I'm always, regardless of what I, the plateaus that I reach, um, the achievements and the goals that I have achieved during my career, like going into a business, like you got to be willing to be humble, but also be willing to adapt and learn different things every single day. Yep. Very true. I agree, brother. I agree. So I'm going to end it. But before I end it, I want to say one thing, last thing, all those people, whatever you're working towards, work it, man. Cause I'm real life living a dream. I'm literally sitting right here with my, childhood favorite basketball player that is now a good friend of mine for years now and we're here chopping it up and we have so many things in common uh raised by single mothers the struggles everything and uh so just bust your ass out man because look shit, shit shit really happens and uh thank you bobby for coming through bro, for no real. problem man thanks for having me on i appreciate it yep all right man if you guys got anything from this podcast like share uh send us a message tell me what you got tell me what you liked give us some feedback And we out. Peace.